Who here uh, ever has a day when it feels really, really hard? No? Has anyone ever experienced any hardship in their life? Anybody? No? What's with you guys? You never, like, it's not all sunshine and roses? No? So your, your lives have difficulties? Oh. Well, I don't know what I'm going to do now. That, was, that didn't go the way I thought. Well, okay, maybe I, maybe I expected that. Okay? Uh, maybe we all have some hard days. And all of us are built a little differently. And myself, I'm a little hard-headed, or no, that nice term, stubborn. And I don't know if any of you guys can relate, but sometimes persistent, there you go, uh, long-suffering, anything like that. Uh, when I have hardships, sometimes I just hunker down, and I'm just like, I'm just going to keep going. I get more stubborn. I'm like, I'm just going to try harder. I'm just going to push through. And sometimes that's not really necessarily even the, the best way of going about it. Maybe sometimes I need to stop and think about it. Maybe I need to actually share what I'm going through. Or maybe uh, when I actually am going through something hard, rather than just getting more stubborn, maybe I need to share it with somebody and say, I'm going through this. Can you pray for me? Can you be with me? Can you give me some words of encouragement? And uh, of the, the love languages, if you guys have ever gone through that, one of my biggest ones is word of affirmation. And I'm not saying that so you'll all go and like, give me a big head and go, you're doing a great job. But it's just, uh, there's a thing that, that we all need one another. The, the body of Christ is not meant to be a solo, just me and Jesus. When I'm going through hardships, I just need to just hold on to Jesus more. Every one of us is built that we need encouragement every once in a while. And so the call of God is that we're not meant to be just lone rangers, just going out into the world and just fighting, 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 and just keep going just on our own. But it's that we need someone to come alongside of us and to encourage us. And it makes a world of a difference when you're having a hard day, that you have someone who unexpectedly just says, you know, you're doing a good job. You know, like, uh, you're, you mean something to me. And uh, the Lord knew what he was doing when he planned out this morning's service with the volunteer appreciation and everything because I had this sermon plans, the, what I was going to do before the volunteer appreciation came along. And God is at work and just moving. But the, the series that we are starting is a series on the book of Philippians. And I chose this, uh, me and the Lord chose it. It wasn't, I'm not smart enough, but... Uh, we chose this series because uh, the book of Philippians is all about a pastor who cares about a church who just wants to encourage them. He wants to come alongside them. They're going through a tough season, and he's going through a tough season, and he just comes alongside them through this letter and says, you know, you're doing a good job. And one of the things that happens, though, is when you're going through uh, tough times, maybe you're not doing everything perfectly. Maybe there's some things where you need a little bit of an area of correction or you need someone to say, well, have you thought about it this way or you need to be careful about this. Maybe you haven't gone off course yet, but maybe you're just trying to hunker down and just do it just because that's what you do. But you don't have the same passion and commitment and joy that you need. And that's what the letter to the Philippians is all about. And uh, I've entitled the, the series Unshakable. And it's not because as human beings, we ourselves are unshakable because we are naturally built to be a little flighty. Some of us are more stubborn or hard-headed than others, but we're unshakable because of the work of God in our lives. And so to give a bit of intro and context to the letter, 
in the, the opening of his letter, uh, the Apostle Paul sets the tone for the whole letter and the primary message that he's trying to convey to the city, to the church in Philippi. And so Paul came to the city because he had a vision one night. He had a dream. And in, the, in Acts 16, you can read for the background, uh, Paul is trying to explore where God has him go. And he tries to go to this place and it doesn't work. And then he tries to go to this place and it doesn't work. And then he has a dream one night, and it's a man from Macedonia saying, come and help us. And so Macedonia was a region, and Paul, being kind of the logical, planned-out guy he, he was, chose the city of Philippi. God didn't tell him specifically to go there, but Paul chose Philippi because it was a strategic location. It was near a port, and it was right along the main Roman highway between Rome and their eastern provinces, because the Roman Empire was huge at this time. And so it was a place that was a little on the small end, but it was very strategic. It had a strong culture, and it had importance. And so when he gets there, he goes to a place that he thinks people, if they're faithful, would have a prayer meeting. And uh, with God's providence, he shows up, and there is a prayer meeting. There's a prayer meeting of all women being led, it seems like, by a woman named Lydia. And these women, the Bible doesn't directly say, but it's likely that they were Jewish, or at least had faith in God of uh, the Old Testament. And so when he gets there, he uh, starts speaking to them, ministering, telling them the gospel, and soon uh, Lydia becomes a Christian. She starts believing in Jesus, and then her whole house becomes believers. And then, uh, as usually happens with Paul, when he goes into a city, he starts a riot. And uh, he gets beat up really bad with rods and clubs, and he gets him and Silas get thrown in prison. But uh, God seems to work really well when bad things happen. And there's a huge earthquake, and they could have escaped. And the way that the, uh, the jailers worked back then is you were re personally responsible for the prisoners. And so since it seemed like they, es they escaped... The, uh, the jailer was about to kill himself rather than being humiliated publicly. And Paul says, stop, stop, we're all here. We haven't gone anywhere. And this man ends up through Paul's ministering to him and through witnessing this miracle becomes a Christian as well. And so then uh, Paul and Timothy and Silas, they end up moving on. But it's clear from this letter and from other sources that uh, Paul cared very much for this church. He kept in contact regularly. And this letter is one of the, the examples of that. But the, uh, there's this church, this has been years later since Paul has been there, and they're starting to struggle. They're starting to go through adversity. They're starting to experience some persecution, some hardship. And so Paul's writing this, this, this letter, not because they've done anything wrong, not because they've, they've had anything major that happened, but because he needs to encourage them. And so uh, later in the letter, Paul stresses the need to remain firm in their faith and to persevere through the trials and the sufferings that all of us experience in this life. And there are indicators that there was some of, somewhat of a minor disagreement and arguments and infighting. And Paul's prescription is for unity. So the church has enough troubles outside of the walls outside of culture that's trying to attack it, that we don't need to have people inside the building or inside the community that are fighting. And so with that context in mind, uh, would you please turn or track along behind me on the screen in Philippians 1, 1 to 11? I'll be reading out of the NIV. But the, the other thing is, so Paul is dealing with the, the Christian experience in this. Paul's saying, this is what you should aspire towards. 
And throughout the letter, he's calling us to a high calling. It's not something that we're necessarily doing right now, but something that we need to aspire to do. So uh, please join me in, in tracking along on the screen reading in your head as I read out loud. It says, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all God's holy people in Christ Jesus at Philippi, together with the overseers and deacons, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. It is right for me to feel this way about all of you, since I have you in my heart, and whether I am in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight, so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Would you please join me in prayer this morning? Father God, uh, you wrote this letter. You inspired Paul to write this letter over 2,000 years ago, and, or approximately 2,000 years ago. And, and Lord, uh, I pray that you would help it to speak to us this morning and in this season. And as we are going through hardships in our own life and in our life as a church family, I pray that you would encourage us. I pray that you would speak to us and that you would give us direction and help during this hard season of our lives. We need to be encouraged, not just for our own sake as believers or as individuals, but we need to be encouraged so that we can continue the work that you have set before us to do, Jesus. May we not be distracted by our hardships that we take our eyes off of you, Jesus, but may we passionately pursue your mission and calling that you have given us as individuals and as a church. And I pray for each one of us here this morning that needs your special touch of healing or encouragement or hope, Lord. I pray that we would receive what we need from you and that we would be blessed so that we can bless other people. In your mighty name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. So the Apostle Paul was quite a brilliant guy. And I have a, I have a friend that said, even if he didn't become a Christian, we probably would have heard about him because he would have been so impactful on the Jewish community that we would have known his name. But instead of calling him the Apostle Paul, we would have called him Rabbi Paul, actually Rabbi Saul. But uh, the way that he writes under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit is that he can use even mundane and small little things like a greeting in a letter to, to uh, come across with deep theological things. So Paul follows the form in his letter that the people in his day would have followed all the time. You start with saying who you are and who you're writing to, and then you start beginning why you're writing. And usually there's a, so the introduction, you say who you are, who you're writing to, and then usually a blessing of the gods in that time, Roman culture. And Paul adapts that to uh, send some important uh, information to them and important things for them to know. And so the first is, uh, that he shows is that we need to be humble. And Paul demonstrates this even in the opening line of his letter. In the first verse, Paul includes Timothy right alongside of him. 
And he puts him on equal grounds as him. Timothy would have been known by the church because he was there when on his first visit. But uh, Paul was the leader of, their, of this missionary expedition, and Timothy was kind of his apprentice. But Paul lifts him up as an equal to himself. And this shows his respect for Timothy. And uh, the other part of this is that Paul intentionally excludes his title. Paul had an important title. He was an apostle that was chosen directly by Jesus Christ. But he chose to just call himself Paul and Timothy. But even he goes a step further than that because instead of calling himself an apostle, which is a mighty title, he calls him and Timothy servants of Jesus Christ. And so the term he uses actually even goes beyond servant. Maybe we think of servant as someone who's uh, well taken care of in a house and they're kind of a person of importance. But the original language uh, word that he actually uses is closer to the word slave. And so he didn't want them to mistake that he's just serving God and he kind of gets some money out of it or he gets something out of it. No, he's he's a slave to Christ Jesus. And uh, the idea of slavery is that your life is not your own. You don't have a choice. You do what your master tells you to do. And so this wasn't a, a condemning thing for Paul and Timothy. This was a joy. And it was a recognition and showing them that Jesus has exchanged their death and separation from sin for life. And so he realizes the cost to Jesus was so great that I give up everything to follow Jesus. And so he's not just a mere servant, he's a slave to Jesus. And so he starts right off with an example of humility for the whole church, to be servants and slaves to King Jesus. And so this letter is to the whole church, so he introduces it to the, to the saints in Philippi, and then he mentions the leaders. He calls them overseers and deacons, and this was a way of honoring their leaders and showing respect for them and almost saying, follow your leaders. And so Paul starts by modeling humility, and then he urges them to advance the gospel and progress in their faith as he continues. So Paul gives a fairly standard blessing to them. He says, grace and peace from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And that that would have been a fairly standard thing, but he changes it from, from the gods, blessing of the gods, to the very specific blessing from God the Father and Jesus who is the Christ. And so first, we need, to, we need humility. We need to be humble. And the second is that we need to cooperate with God's work in us. So Paul shows such joy in his prayer for the Philippians. He loved them. He cared for them. They had a very important place in his life. And he demonstrates that a Christian should always be joyful. And now, if you're familiar with Paul, Paul didn't have a very easy life. Once he gave his life to Jesus, he went from being a persecutor of Christians to being a person who was persecuted wherever he went. As I said earlier, Paul, everywhere he went, he seemed to have the talent or the gift or the curse, whatever you want to call it, of starting a riot and getting beaten up. Paul was, Paul was beaten up so many times in his life that there was one time he, he had so many stones thrown at him, they thought he was dead. And so they left him because the point was to kill him. But the, then other people came along, picked him up, brought him inside, prayed for him, and he seemed to be fine the next day. He wasn't fully recovered, but he kept going. And so Paul's life, he talks about shipwreck after shipwreck and beatings and being cursed and being trampled down. And here's Paul setting the example and say, a Christian should always be joyful. Doesn't that just make sense? You should be joyful because you're getting beat up. You should be joyful because you're getting beat up. No, 
Paul's not masochistic. He's not, he doesn't like pain. He doesn't like suffering. He's not, he's not an alien. He, but his joy doesn't come from the suffering itself. His joy comes from the fact that the suffering actually helps to spread the gospel. So Paul and Silas getting thrown in prison after getting beat up, God redeemed that to make it so the jailer was saved. So through Paul's suffering, the gospel went on. The gospel was sent out. The gospel was preached. And so Paul's joy for the Philippians, first of all, is because they've continued to support him. Other churches, other groups have, have abandoned him at times, and it says there's been times when he's been betrayed. But this church has remained faithful to him. They've supported him through their prayers and through their giving. And the second reason for Paul's joy is that his confidence that God will complete the good work that he began in them. And so that isn't because of, uh, or sorry, it's, it's not completed yet, he's saying. He's saying, I'm so glad that God has completed the good work. It's, he's happy because, and joyful because God will complete the good work. It says it will be completed on the day of Christ. But Paul recognizes it's a continual and a progressive transformation. So once someone uh, puts their faith, hope, and trust in Jesus, it says they move from death to life. And in that, that is a singular moment. That is a, a miracle of an instant. But then the progression to become more and more like Jesus takes many, many, many years. And it doesn't, is not perfectly completed until the day of Christ, it says. The day when Christ returns triumphantly. So the good work that Paul is talking to is God's gift to believers. It's both of the ability and the, the want and the will to do good works. So Paul says the good work that Christ is doing in you. It's not just that God is doing it, but that the believers are contributing and cooperating with that good work. So these works that people are doing, the, the giving that the people in Philippi are doing for Paul, show that they actually have faith in Jesus. They're evidence of their belief and their faith. And it's evidence that God is working out the salvation of these believers. So uh, the state of the salvation in this isn't actually a present thing. He's not saying you are saved. He's saying you will be saved. And so Paul is saying that uh, the work that God is doing, he will complete one day. But he's saying that uh, you're in life, but it's not yet complete. So it's an ongoing work. So as much as salvation is an instant uh, miracle, sanctification or the becoming more like Jesus is a, is a process that continues through life. So Paul then goes on to thank them and to pray for them. And Paul actually shares their prayer or the prayer he has. He gives thanksgivings in his letter and this shows that he just loves them. You know, sometimes uh, in the written word, uh, if someone is truly talented, if there's a very good a writer, you can just feel what the, the people in the story or in the letter are feeling. And Paul's feeling, his love for these people, just oozes out of this letter. It is so clear he loves the Philippians so much. And so the apostles' joyful gratitude flows from an appreciation of who the Philippians are and his relationship to them. And they've continued to support him over and over and over again. But Paul's careful to note that their support for him isn't just about him. 
It's not just about him as their leader, and he's not going, look how great I am. These people love me. But he appreciates it because it's not just a gift to him. It's a gift for the continuing of the work of spreading the gospel. It's a gift to the church. It's a gift to the kingdom that the kingdom would be spread more and more through Paul's work and his efforts. And so the Philippians aren't just mere spectators in watching Paul. He's not just a hired missionary that they cheer on from a distance. But he's so joyful because they actually come alongside him and continue and participate in the work that he's doing. So the Apostle Paul showed up, spread the gospel to them. They created a church, and then he left, and they kept going in the work. It's not like they expected him to stay and do all the work. He wasn't merely a hired hand. But he's so joyful because they have continued to work diligently and to participate in spreading the gospel. And Paul lived his life in just such a relentless pursuit of spreading the gospel that he appeared crazy. If, if we saw the Apostle Paul here this morning and he was preaching, we would just go, whoa, step back. This guy's a little too intense. I'd rather take a guy that was just like three notches down. And one day I'll get there. One day I'll be that intense. But <laughs> God's working on me. I'm in that process. But Paul was just crazy. And the only thing he cared about is that God would be glorified. He wanted more and more people to come to saving faith in Jesus. And that would be my prayer for us. That would be my prayer for me. That that would just be the burning passion inside each of us. That the world would think we're crazy because we just can't stop talking about this Jesus guy. We just can't stop telling people, do you know about Jesus? Do you know what he's done for me? I wish you could know and experience it because it is so real that we couldn't help but tell other people. And I know this is super un-Canadian because we're so worried about offending people. May we be more afraid of not doing the work that God has set before us. If we are going to fear anything, the Bible says to fear the Lord. And that's not because we we have to be worried that God's going to smite us, because it says perfect love casts out all fear. But if there's anything that should worry us, it should be that we would not do the work that God has set before us. We should be so in love with Jesus and so in love with other people that we couldn't help but tell them, Jesus loves you. And we couldn't help but not just tell them, but show them through our actions and through our deeds and through our whole lives. And I was so encouraged to be here on Thursday nights and gathering together. And I love to see how many people were here and praying. And I know some people couldn't make it because of various other commitments. And I know there were people outside of here. But it was just such joy and an encouragement to lift up a man who has been so encouraging to all of us. And you could just feel the love for Pastor Neil in this room. And it is just such a joy and a privilege to love other people. And so may we be so focused on loving Jesus and so focused on loving other people that we would do that all the time. That we would pray for one another. We would encourage one another. We would come alongside one another. And Paul is just such a great example of just this relentless pursuit of Jesus with his entire life. And Paul is calling them to, no matter what they are going through, to push on and to keep going, to be encouraged, to pursue Jesus. And throughout this letter, there's a balance between God's, uh, God's work in the lives of individuals and then the participation of God's people with God's work. So are we saved by grace or works? Grace. Do we need to do anything with our grace, though? 
It's free. Yes, it's free. That's true. So once we have grace, what are we saved to do? To do works. So in the, the Bible, it says there's grace and then there's works. But in James, it says, you show me your, uh, your grace and I will show you my grace through my works. So if, the, if you are truly a Christian, then people should be able to tell. Not just because you go to church on Sunday, but because you follow Jesus and you live out that grace. You are saved to do the work of Jesus. To do the work that Jesus has set before you. And so the key verse of this whole passage is Philippians 1.6, which says, He who began a good work in you, that is to say the beginning of salvation and sanctification, which is the process of becoming more and more like Jesus, will carry it on to the completion of carried on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. So this is an ongoing cooperation with God's Holy Spirit in your life to become more and more like Jesus. And there's a wonderful old prayer by a 16th century sailor named Sir Francis Drake. And he prays that when God leads us to begin any great work, he will also remind us that it is not the beginning, but continuing of the same until it is thoroughly finished that yieldeth true glory. So in 21st century English, it's not the beginning of a great work that's awesome and amazing. It's finishing that amazing work, which is awesome and amazing. So when we come to faith in Jesus, that's awesome. And that is but a start of the good work that God has said before us. Because he is remaking us and remodeling us to become more and more like his son Jesus. And we are to continue so it's not how you begin a race. You can, uh, if you start as a sprinter in a 10-kilometer race, you will probably not win because you will run out of steam before you hit one kilometer unless you're in very, very good shape. But you need to continue on. It's not the person who starts the race the fastest, but who finishes the fastest that wins the prize. And Paul talks about continue, press on, keep going. And so that is the whole theme of this whole letter. God began the good work of faith in his people, and he will continue it and be faithful in it. So essentially, what Paul is saying in this passage is, I want to encourage you for the good that you're doing. I want to encourage you for everything that you have done so far. It is awesome, and I appreciate it. But remember this. It's not you that is doing all of the work. It is not you that this is all depending on. It is not you alone that this rests on. It was not you who began the work, and it's not you who will finish the work. The Philippians were discouraged. They were in a place that said, I'm running out of steam. I'm running out of effort. I'm running out of energy. And Paul's reminding them, it's good that you're putting in effort. It's good that you're putting in the energy. But remember, this depends on God, not you. And I know for me, that's great news, because if it depended on me, we'd all be hooped. (laughs) But it doesn't depend on me. It depends on Jesus. And that's true in your life, too. But we need to do something about it. So there's a, there's a saying that I've been reading on Twitter. It's been bouncing around. And it says, we need to pray like it absolutely depends on God. Because it does. But if all we do all day is prayer, if we, all we do all day is pray that we would have thousands of people that would come to know Jesus, but we never say anything to anyone, would anything happen? Maybe. But probably not. So in this letter, Paul is saying, yes, we need to pray but we need to do something about it. And so Paul actually shows them the prayer. And uh, 
it's just showing that we need to continue to grow. We need to move on and we need to continue to grow. And so he shares his prayer for them as a church. And it's important for us to know why Paul does this. It's not to brag that he's praying for them. He's not going, well, I'm praying for you guys, just so you know, just give me the credit because I'm spending time in prayer. No, what he's doing is he's saying that, first of all, he, need, he wants to encourage them. It's encouraging to know that someone who cares about you is praying for you. But the second is that he wants them to know what he is praying so that they can be active in helping to make it come true. And so just as there's a tension between God's grace and our own efforts, there's the tension between prayer and action. So uh, it could very much be argued that Lydia's prayer group that was getting together is what brought Paul to Philippi. They were praying for God to move, and he did. Paul showed up. So God sent Paul. Paul was obedient to what he had called. And uh, when our own Andrew Taggart was younger, and I have his permission to share this story, he was starting to figure out what it meant to be a follower of Jesus. And he had, uh, he had some bad habits, and there was an older woman in his church who asked for an update. How are you doing, Andrew? And he said, well, I'm doing really good. I've gotten rid of this. I've totally quit this. Uh, and she lit up, and she was so happy. And then in the next part of the sentence, he said, but I've started doing this more. And she just instantly became downcast. And uh, it's not that she was trying to make him feel guilty in that moment, but she looked at him and said, don't you know that there are people praying for you? And he realized in that moment that people were supporting him and caring him, but he wasn't doing his end of the bargain. He wasn't working out and becoming closer and closer to Jesus with his own decisions and with his own choices. And that encouragement is, and a little bit of correction is what helped him to press on and to get rid of that so he could follow Jesus even better. But this, this small example just shows a tangible example of what we are to do. We are to encourage one another. We are to ask people, I'm struggling with this. Can you please pray for me? But then it doesn't stop there. Yes, get people to pray for you. Yes, get people to help. Yes, share your life, but then do something about it. So if we want to see more and more people come to Jesus, let's pray our faces off. Let's be passionate about, I want to see people come to Jesus. But there's an amazing thing that happens when you pray. God changes your heart. And he starts lighting that passion in you that you can't help but tell other people about Jesus. And just like Paul with the Philippians, this wasn't just the leader's job. Yes, Paul set an example, and he was zealous, and he gave his whole life in pursuit of this. But nothing effective happened just by Paul. It was those who came around him and helped him and supported him and cared for him and actually did the work of the ministry too. And so this morning, as we, as we uh, lifted up Martha and uh, recognized that everyone here serves in some capacity or another, we hope, if not, then there's a thing, little thing called conviction of the Holy Spirit. I'll let you leave that between you and Jesus. But uh, the work of the church is done by the whole church. It's not a hired hand mentality. It's not a, they weren't supporting Paul just so that he could go out there and they could go, you know, that's, that's our missionary. That's the one that does all of our work. It's no, they supported him and they also did the work of the ministry. And so Paul's prayer has three quick elements. He prays that the love would overflow in knowledge and wisdom. And this isn't the emotional type of love that we always think about. Instead, it's the genuine love 
that actually works its way out in knowledge. So you can say that you love somebody and you're just maybe talking about your emotion. But the love that Paul is talking about is saying if you actually love God, you would get to know him more. You would actually become wiser. You would actually become closer and closer and have more and more of the mind of Christ. And the second is that he prays that this wise love that they would have would result in moral discernment. And discernment is a tricky thing. It's something that uh, the world, when we look around it, when we look at some of the issues that are going on, it doesn't seem like they're black and white. It seems like there's shades of gray going on. And there's an interesting thing that happens is when children are very young, they see the world as black and white. There's good and there's evil. There's nice people and there's mean people. There's friendly people and there's scary people. And when you get older, it seems like more and more it starts being, well, this person's pretty good, but they have this, and there's this, and this is the right thing to do, but not always, it depends on this, and just becomes totally gray. And we like to think and often say that the world is getting worse. It's never been this bad. Culture is so against us. Culture is so terrible. But if we actually look back at history, there was a time in the church when just even just saying you're a Christian got you killed. And we don't have that lack of freedom here. And so uh, during Paul's day, there was a lot of gray almost, it looked like, in the culture. But Paul is saying that as you become more and more in love with Jesus, all of that gray will actually distinguish itself more and more in black and white. And so he's saying that as you grow in your faith, you'll have more and more discernment. So uh, in that way... People can become more and more holy, not just through the rituals of the Old Testament, but in understanding what it actually means to be a Christian in a morally corrupt world. And the third prayer that Paul has is that he may be filled to over, they may be filled with overflowing with the fruit of right living. So this is the behavior. This is the actual living out of their faith. It's not just a head thing. It's not just a heart thing. It's an action thing. It's not just knowing the right thing to do and then doing the wrong thing. It's knowing the right thing to do. It's knowing I should share my faith. It's knowing I should read my Bible and actually reading my Bible. It's knowing I should pray for the prayer needs of our church and of the city and of the world and actually praying. And so this is love in action. And every stage of the process of faith, which is first hearing the gospel, believing the gospel, beginning to live the gospel, and then continuing to become more and more like Jesus through the process of sanctification. This is all not done to the glory of ourselves. This is all done to the glory of God. And so, as we continue this series on unshakable, we'll continue to look at more and more ways that God is at work in us. It's not about us just pulling ourselves up by the bootstraps, which, if you ever actually thought about that phrase... Anybody? Because I actually, I was, I, it came to mind when I was prepping this sermon, and I thought about, you know, the, in the American, Western, Canadian, whatever, we, we think that means that you're a self-made person. You pulled yourself up by your bootstraps. But I looked into the, uh, the history of that phrase, and it actually was meant as a sarcastic make fun of the person who thought they were self-made. And because if you've ever actually tried it, and I'd love to see someone try this after the service, but if you have bootstraps, if you actually try to yank so hard that you lift yourself up off the ground, it's impossible. That physics doesn't work like that. I'm not a physics major either, but that doesn't work. And, but we think, well, so I'm a self-made person. I can do this. I can just do this on my own. 
That's not what, that's not what life is about. We are here for one another. We are here to encourage one another. And so even as Pastor Neil said in that sermon, if you notice that there's somebody that's not here this morning and that hasn't been here, and then as frank as it is, that's not necessarily my job to call that person. If you notice, then God is maybe laying it on your heart, call that person to come alongside them. I am one man, and I can do as many things as Christ strengthens me to do, but there are a lot more of you than there are of me. And so may we all be in this together. May we all encourage one another. May we all press on and remember that God is at work in each one of us. I just want to remind you this. God has begun a good work in all of us. God has begun a good work in all of you. I don't know where you are in your relationship with Jesus this morning, but Jesus is at work. I know that he is at work in every single person in the entire world, and they're in a different place in that. But do not let you be the weak link in that chain. May it not be your lack of time with Jesus or your lack of effort in working out your salvation that is what causes you to not have as close a relationship with Jesus as possible. So continue. Press on. Be encouraged. Know that Jesus is here with you. Know that he loves you beyond your wildest dreams. Jesus is at work here. Jesus is at work in our church. Jesus is at work in you. And I believe big things are coming. You know, often the, uh, the way the spiritual world works is that when the hardest persecution comes, when the deepest moments of suffering comes, it's because the enemy knows that something big is coming and he wants to stop it. And I believe that the enemy is trying to do something to our church, but God has a different plan. God is a bigger God. And so he's at work. So let us press on and press on and be encouraged. So please join me in prayer and then let's sing our hearts out to Jesus. Father God, you are so good and you are at work here this morning. You are doing something in our church. You have a big plan and you have big dreams and may we not be the weak link in the chain. May we be faithful in praying. May we be faithful in pressing on. And it's not about us, Jesus. It's about you. It's about the work that you are doing in our lives. It's about the work that you are doing. So I pray that we would be encouraged, that we would press on and press into you, Jesus. And we thank you for who you are and what you are doing this morning. Amen.